Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Danny's Diary, a podcast powered by Singing News Magazine. I'm your host, Danny Jones. My guest today, Michael Booth of the Booth Brothers. Say hello, Michael. Hello, Danny. Good to be here. Well, it's glad to, we're glad to have you on board today. And, uh, of course, the Booth Brothers, uh, a staple in the world of Southern gospel music, celebrating 30 years this year. It does not seem possible. No, it doesn't. Uh I often still think of myself as the new young guy who's mm-hmm. still looking up to the cathedrals and Gold City and the Kingsmen and all that. So it's a strange thought to to not be that person anymore. And here you are with so many groups looking up to you uh, as a member of the Booth Brothers, uh, calling your phone, asking, how do I handle this situation? What do we do in a case like this? Did you ever really picture yourself in that role reversal? Well, again, I remember when I made the phone calls to um, Glenn Payne and well, one of the benefit, one of the real privileges Ronnie and I had was, you know, our dad was in this thing thick and heavy back in the day. And he had all these connections with all these people that we had access to. Jake Hess, Mosey Lister, um, Hovey Lister, uh, James Blackwood. We could talk to all these guys. Our first contract with Eddie Crook and Morningstar Records, we called up Jake Hess to ask his opinion of what he thought about. So that's where I came from. So to be in a, I always thought if I ever am in that position, I want to be available and try to help people as much as I can. Well, and, and you're doing that. Uh, you know, recently you, you've taken on a little bit of a new venture that we'll talk about a little mm-hmm. uh, shortly. But the Booth Brothers, as we said, celebrating 30 years, have come off a streak of being Southern Gospel Music Artist of the Year for 10 years in a row, favorite trio for a long time. And, of course, you were awarded favorite tenor. Your brother has been awarded favorite lead singer. You've had songs of the year. It's been an incredible three decades that Mm. even you and your brother have admitted you never really saw coming together quite like this. No, and and when all that was happening, we couldn't, you know, it sounds like I'm making this up. uh, God knows my heart. We can't figure out how it happened. Uh, We're a, a trio, and the way we came up in this world, it was a quartet world. And so somehow, some way, it, it turned into this trio being that popular. It's still uh, surprising to us. Mm-hmm. Of course, everything has corrected itself now, and Triumphant Quartet is Artist of the Year. So <laughs> You're not bitter, are you? Well, no, not at all. No. Just checking. Just checking. But, but you know, you, you brought up a good point there. You did come up in a quartet world. So for those folks who may not know your dad's background, let's fill them in on that, and that'll help fill in the gaps. Yeah. A dad started singing with the original Booth Brothers in the 50s. Then he sang with the Tony Brothers Quartet out of Detroit, Michigan. Then he went to the Rebels Quartet out of Tampa, Florida. And for a short stint, he was with the Thrasher Brothers and the Stamps uh, for a little while. And then he got out of gospel music. Uh, basically, in the 80s and 1989, we sang our first song together, Dad and Ronnie and I, at Fellowship Baptist Church in Brandon, Florida. Mm-hmm. We sang Bill Gaither's Because He Lives, Easter Sunday morning. And a little while after that, um, the church was going to have a homecoming, and a quartet was supposed to come sing, and they couldn't. So we found a, a former piano player for the Rebels Quartet named Tim, Tim Sievert, and we learned eight songs, and I was singing baritone. Um, 
Dad was singing tenor at the time. We sang those eight songs, had a good time, and I remember talking to Dad, hey, let's let's keep this thing going. So, you know, we say we started at 89 because you got to have a starting date. There was no really official start date. Right. We just picked the first time we sang. Uh, and our intention was we just wanted to sing at our home church here and there, and then maybe a church around town. And that's all we wanted to do. We had heard from Dad how difficult it was to be in a full-time situation. And the, the without going into detail, the things I heard about, I thought, well, why does anybody want to do that? You know, that sounds too hard. So there was never an intention that, that Ronnie and I had of being a full-time gospel group. And mind you, without chasing a rabbit here, for a long period of time, our family was not involved in church nor church music. So Ronnie and I were influenced by pop music, country music, uh, that honestly, musically, that had more of an influence on us than gospel music. Mm-hmm. But when we did start singing, we just took the opportunities we were given. And those opportunities came through fundamental independent Baptist churches. So, you know, don't be a hero. Sing what feeds those people. So we picked songs, a lot of Mosey Lister songs, and that lended itself towards a southern gospel genre. Uh, Charlie Waller heard us, uh, brought us up to the Grand Old Gospel Reunion to to sing uh, one or two songs. At that time, Eddie Crook of Morningstar Records was a huge label at the time. He heard us, offered us a deal, and uh, we actually turned it down. And a year later, it was at a place where we were too busy to be part-time but not busy enough to be full-time. And Ronnie and I decided if Eddie Crook offers us a deal again, we'll take it. If he doesn't, we're going to shut it down. So the whole not many people know that we were uh, one record deal away from stopping. Wow! So Eddie did. He made the offer again. We accepted it and kept kept going. And thirty years later, <laughs> you have realized that part of the key to longevity in gospel music is picking the right material. Uh-huh. For your audience. Yeah. But it starts with picking the right material for you, both on a personal level, but also on a professional level. You've got to pick the songs that you get something out of. Yeah. In order for you to be able to deliver that song to the audience. Yeah. So when the Booth Brothers go to look for a song, what are they looking for? Well, it's kind of a heavy answer. I guess you call it a heavy answer. If if it's going to be about Christ, then it better be biblically sound. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, I can go back through our catalog and go, oops. <laughs> there were there were a few I look back on now because you grow and you learn things and you think, eh, I wouldn't record that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, through through each stage of, of, of our life and our growth, we picked what we thought were biblically sound Song, so you're responsible to that. Uh, secondly, does it communicate uh, to to the audience you're singing to? I hear the young people say, "Well, I just need to be myself and express myself and be genuine to myself." And I just tell nobody cares about you. <laughs> and I know that sounds harsh. Nobody cares about. It. They want what they want, mm-hmm. and you're and you're responsible to the platform God has given you to not feed your ego, but to feed those people. And you feed those people, those people will take care of you. Right. And they have taken good care of us. They have. Yeah. You know, and uh, you and I often joke, uh, every time the Booth Brothers go to record an album, you and I will, will talk about <laughs> yeah. different things of it. And 
nine times out of ten, we finally get around to the point, you know, this is the album we just wanted to do for us. I know. And, you yeah. know, we, we, we make fun of that because every Booth Brother album, if you really start picking it apart, yeah. it's different from every other Booth Brother. Booth, Booth, let me try that again. Yeah. <laughs> every other Booth Brother album, simply because of the different musical influences you and Ronnie right. had over the years. And so this year, the theme might be a little more Elvisy. Yeah. Yeah. Or Next year, it may be Eagles, you know, whatever the jazz, case may be. Yeah. But the eclectic background has also turned into a huge asset for the Booth Brothers. It has set you apart from most other groups. Well, and, and what you just described can sound like I, I'm. It's a conflict of what I just said a minute ago about mm-hmm. feeding the people. Mm-hmm. But what we began to realize about the people is they have, if you use the right song in the right application, that that's when things can be very effective. So we found when we were singing exclusively in fundamental independent Baptist churches, we did only material for that environment. And then we we ended up singing in different kind of places to different kind of people. And so we wanted, we chased the material that would feed those people within our capabilities and within the scope of what we felt was honorable to the Lord. Uh, And so, and then we found out, then after time, we found out people, again, in the right context, in the program, in the right place in the program, you can do a song outside of the box if you did a full program of it, it wouldn't work. But you can stretch a little bit and do a... Uh, we, we do Mosey Lister's old happy rhythm song. Mm-hmm. To, but it, we told the arranger we want it to sound like the Mills Brothers and Manhattan Transfer. Well, you can't do an hour of it. But three and a half minutes in the middle of a program, in between Look For Me at Jesus' Feet, Blind Man, Then I'm at the Master, Castles in the Sand, His Grace is Sufficient, is actually a nice little lift in the program. So it was learning. it was learning those kind of uh, uh, details and, and ways to be effective that was... Do you ever find yourself as an MC, and especially when you're introducing new material to an audience, do you ever find yourself second-guessing yourself, <laughs> and do you ever make that mistake of like, oh, we probably need to shelve this one? Have yeah. you ever found yourself in that situation? Oh, most definitely. I, I second-guess myself... I was I did a solo concert the other day and I, I went ahead I, I could say things in that environment I didn't say normally with a group. But I told him I said often the people that the audience think are the most confident are often the most insecure. Mm-hmm. And um I am extremely insecure uh, at times. And yet at the other times I want the ball and I want the control of it cuz I you know I I just so it's it's really conflicted but there there are not many nights I don't go to my bunk and think, oh, what did I do that for? Why, why did I do that? Because the speed of processing thought is so fast. I'm exhausted by the time we're done because I'm swinging for the fences. I want everything to be a long ball. Mm-hmm. Can, can that, is that possible? No, but that's what I'm shooting for. So when you swing that hard, you're going to miss. Uh, the difference is I've learned over time how to how to you know, with God's grace, how to fix the misses quite often. But that doesn't mean it doesn't bother me. Right. Well, but it also gives you a uh, a checks and balances system, yeah. if you will. 
Our guest today is Michael Booth of the Booth Brothers. You are listening to Danny's Diary, a podcast of Singing News Magazine. And if you would like to keep up with the Booth Brothers, you can do so by reading Singing News Magazine each and every month. It can be delivered to your mailbox simply by calling 800-527-5226 or visiting singingnews.com. Michael Booth, tell us about Ronnie Booth. <laughs> You've got 30 seconds to say whatever you wanted to say about Ronnie Booth. Yeah. Go. Well, I, if I only have 30 seconds, I'd have to be serious. He's what you he's what you think he is. He's, he's the real deal. Uh, he's very laid back, very laid back. Um, and he has that voice that is unlike any other. Um, but he's the first one up in the morning. He's the first one with his Bible cracked open reading Spurgeon and heavy stuff. He doesn't say a whole lot on stage. But there's a lot going on in that mind. Yeah, often, often wondering what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, that, that seems to be a common thought. Yeah. Other other people have mentioned that too. What is he doing? Yeah. Okay, Michael Booth, I'm going to throw some names out at you, and I want your first reaction mm-hmm. to these names. And I promise, I'm not going to throw many curveballs. Okay. Just just a few. Uh, I hate this. We'll start with do, a. We'll start with one. It should be easy. Yeah. Nick Bruno. Oh, wonderful. Everything about him is, a, is an inspiration to me of how to live a consistent, long-term, habitual lifestyle to try to honor Christ. And he happens to be great musically. And for those of you who may not be familiar with Nick Bruno, for many years he sat at the keyboards for the Kingsman. Mm-hmm. He's been a record producer and arranger and has been a big part of the Booth Brothers sound on many yes. of their recordings. And a huge part. Uh, just just a big part of what the Booth Brothers do. All right, you did, you did well with that one. Yeah, let's let's go to another one. <laughs> uh, let's go to um, Bill Gaither. Bill Gaither. Uh, I would say great. Uh, when, I, when I think of Bill, uh, you realize that there's a reason he's in the position he's in and has accomplished the things he has accomplished and i often think of when we're doing those videos um though we all try to be humble and we all try you know we're, we're a bunch of people that want the microphone and we want to sing the song so here's 200 singers and musicians that that want the ball and uh, if we're if we're not careful we can all get selfish in that way but somehow some way god has enabled him to to lead people to and the the word I hear from him the most is community the body of Christ is what he's so he brings us all together we all lay our selfishness aside for the benefit of the whole um, and so when I think of Bill I think of a very unique uh, gifted individual okay let's go back uh, to a name that's uh, in, in our past together Glenn Payne <sighs> um. Glenn Payne, what I would say about him is he influenced me tremendously, even though I didn't get to spend much time with him. Mm-hmm. But this may sound strange to people. There was a there was a period of time we were getting going. I would off, often ask myself, what would Glenn do in this situation? And because of his lifestyle that he had lived before all of us, you could you could figure out what he would do. Mm-hmm. So he was teaching us, even though he didn't speak it to me personally, his life taught me. 
Okay. You yeah. did you did pretty good. You you, yeah. did, you didn't drop the ball much. Or no. I'm proud of you, Mark. Something's coming. What is okay. it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, now, let's just see how you respond to this one last name. Oh, my. Danny Jones. Danny Jones. <laughs> Pinball machine. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> That's what I've – often, how many concerts have we been in together? Oh, I've where, lost count. Where you were up there giving a singing news pitch. And I should have been off the stage minding my own business, but I just can't. And so I walk up there, and somehow, some way, we end up with about a 10-minute monologue that usually goes over very well. It usually does. <laughs> but yet, we've never gotten a check for that. We've got to work we on that not, part. We've no, got to, we need to talk no, to our but, agents but about that. we should have left a tip. Yes, we have. <laughs> Yes, and we'll talk about that momentarily, as a matter of fact. That's a great one. Oh, it's a great story. Involves two states, two restaurants, and and about $70. (laughs) Most of it Danny's. Most of it mine. However, I did get get the upper hand, though. I think I actually won. All right, since you broached that, Michael, let's just go ahead and do it. I'll just – I'll – several years ago, we were at an event that our friends at Abraham Productions does, uh, Singing in the Sun in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And traditionally, it, it just worked out to where we would go have lunch together, uh, me, uh, the Booth brothers, and a few other people. And this particular year, we finished our meal, and we were going to head back over to the auditorium to, to set up and everything. And I excused myself to go to use the facilities, <laughs> but I left Michael a $20 bill just to pay my check when the waitress came by to collect fifth, everything. Danny, you keep saying it was a 20. It was a 50. Well, I vividly remember this. Well, you vividly remember wrong. I'm telling you. Yeah, but anyway. That's why it was so funny. So <laughs> anyway, you, you, you know, you're, I've left you with the money. And on the way back from the restroom, I meet that waitress. And she has the biggest <laughs> smile on her face. And when I got back to the table, I found out why. It's because when she asked Michael uh, about the other guy, you know, oh, I've got his money. Okay. All right. Uh, here you go. Uh, how much change? I mean, do I need to give him change? Oh, no. He's a big tipper. <laughs> so my it. bill was like six bucks, and he handed this waitress $20, okay? She made $15 in change for a burrito, basically. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. But as I've told audiences across the country, God is faithful to his children. <laughs> a few months later, we were in um, Lebanon, Missouri. Lebanon, Missouri. And I don't know if you've ever been to Lebanon, Missouri in August, but let me just tell you, it is hot. Hmm. And the air conditioning in that particular venue was struggling. And so after everybody got done setting up, Michael and I decided, you know what? We've got to find something cold. Ice cream. So does something. So me, Michael, and your sound engineer at the time, Robert, Robert Dixon, Dixon, we yep. climbed in my car, and we went around the corner to a Sonic. I was in the back seat. You were in the back Humbly seat. I was in the back seat. That's right. We pulled up to the uh, pulled up to the little ordering board. You folks have been to Sonic. You know what I'm talking about. And uh, we happened to get there just at the right time where everything was half price. What they call it, happy hour? Happy hour, something, something like that. that. Half price happy hour, I don't well, know. Something like that. Well, anyway, so we order three drinks, uh, and our bill is like $3. Michael, being the generous human being that he is, says, here, boys, I've got this. 
I hear him fumbling around back there, and over my shoulder comes a $50 bill. Yes, I did. $47 tip to that little girl. He did. And she's in college now, thanks to Michael Booth. She bought a house and a car. Right, right. So that's just the typical day in the life of Michael and Michael Danny. Michael and Danny, that's right. Right, but but I will I will say he even Michael got even with me because one weekend. They suckered me. Oh, they t- asked me to drive. Oh, I forgot about this. Uh, help drive. This <laughs> and Michael at that time was still driving some, and uh, he doesn't do that much anymore. For some reason, about he keeps saying favorite tenors don't drive or something yeah. like that. But anyway, he DOT DOT actually, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so he starts out driving, and. You know, back in these days, you know, it's been a few years ago. It was a while ago. Uh, and, yeah. and our engineer, Troy Peach, is well aware of this, so this is, no, <laughs> this is no secret. You didn't have to stop the bus to change drivers. No. Nope. You just do what's called swapping on the fly. Yep. And so uh, you, you pick up the story from there, Michael. Well, I'd driven maybe an hour. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and that counts in the and parking I, lot, too. So Danny's in the back. He's in the, uh, the front lounge right behind me. And I said, hey, Danny. I said, you, you don't mind? Come up here, grab the wheel for a minute. I've got to go to the restroom. <laughs> so it's about 10 o'clock at night. And uh, so he comes up there, and we swap out and chit-chat for a second. I said, all right, I, I've got to go to the restroom. So I did. I did what I said I was going to do. I went to the restroom, and then... <laughs> then you went to bed. And then I went to bed. Right. <laughs> Eight hours later, I parked the bus. Okay? I did. <laughs> so... I... <laughs> And this, and this and this is why I have no hair. I mean, this this is the truth. I slept so good. Yes, you did. But anyway, so I didn't sleep at all because I was back here laughing. Right, right. No, we know, we know. Well, anyway, uh, Michael Booth, what you you're venturing on something new? You're, you're actually doing a few solo dates. Now. I am. I am. I'm That's having... because you treated the people around you like you've treated me. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, go out and do your own thing. That's right. Well, I am. I'm doing a few, and you know, the press releases of of uh, signing with Daywin Records and uh, and Harper Agency, it may have made it look bigger than than what it is. You know, uh, the Booth Brothers have cut our schedule, and it and it left a lot of opportunity, if you will, to go out if we wanted to, and if we don't, we don't. And so, I wanted to, I wanted to um, try a few things, and so. Um, it's just been enjoyable to to roll out and sing, kind of see if I can handle the whole program by myself, and I I've only done one by myself, um, and I've and I'm fixing to do another one at my buddy Mark Forrester's homecoming up in, in Michigan, uh, well no that'll be with him too duh, uh, other than other than the one I did by myself in Shipshawana. it'll either be with Mark or I've worked with my vocal coach Lindsey Graham. Because I didn't want to take, since I've never done this really, I didn't want to take on the responsibility of an entire program by myself. Because mm-hmm. though I I know how to emcee a program, I know how to sing, but doing that with a group versus doing by yourself is a whole different, it's just a whole different thing. So I didn't want to prove to people that I needed to learn how to do it. Mm. <laughs> so I wanted to keep my time on the stage uh uh, as short as possible, but long enough, and so that's why Lindsay was gracious enough to to come do. Uh, I think we've done three or four 
programs together. Um, and then I, I did do a 90-minute set by myself and ship Shawana. Uh, and I don't think I, I, other than Mark's this year, I won't have another one. I, I don't think this year. I may do more next year because I'm, I'm starting to get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. So maybe a dozen tops, 15, 20. Right. And let's let's just make sure for emphasis here and that no one misunderstands. The Booth Brothers are not quitting. Oh, no. They are still touring, still recording, still <clears> working <throat> plenty of concerts and everything. They've just adjusted things around where each member of the group has a little more time uh, to do different things if they choose to. Yeah. You know, Paul uh, Lancaster, the baritone for the group, he's working a few dates here and there. Mm-hmm. Ronnie is, you know, he's uh, he's waiting to see what you two do. Yeah, right. Yeah, he, he, he's afraid he's going to get stuck with everything. <laughs> Ronnie's busy with real estate. He, does, yes. he deals with that a lot. He's and, and we always, we promised our wives years ago we would never do more than we felt we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now to each household that's subjective, you know, uh, but we're, we're very, very, very fortunate that we even have an option to cut back. Okay. So, I mean, just say that I'm very grateful for that. So I don't want to cut back to go, to come off the road, to go on the road too much, but there is some opportunity and when Vicky's up to it and feels like it, she'll go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she, anytime she wants to, she's welcome. I'll bring our, my youngest son probably go to, um, but it's just been a, a fun opportunity to do something a little bit different. What do you do in your spare time? You, you mentioned that Ronnie does, uh, he, he likes to dabble in real estate and, mm-hmm. and is doing fairly well with it. Uh, what, what do you like to do? I, that's a good question. What do I do? I, I have been working on this, uh, building a studio in my house for about three years, of which I've really not gotten very far because there's this thing called Pro Tools that, I don't really know how to work mm-hmm. and it's really difficult. So I'm trying to learn that and I've got some uh, drum kit in there. I'm, I'm learning to tuning it. I'm kind of tinkering a lot, but I love the recording process mm-hmm. and I love the creative process of, of making music. So I'm focusing most of my time on that. Yeah. You know, let's, let's jump back to your dad just a few moments ago. I meant to bring this up, but you being who you are, got me so distracted so quickly <laughs> by something that was insignificant, I'm sure. <laughs> Just doing my part. Yes, you, know? you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, your dad, uh, in addition to all those groups that he sang with, had the opportunity to sing uh, with J.D. Sumner and the Stamps during a time when the Stamps were the the backup vocalist for Elvis Presley. Yeah. Does your dad ever talk about those days much? A little bit. A little bit. And he, w- he was only there for... Uh, a couple tours. It wasn't a long period of time because at that time the stamps were so busy. They did a lot of their gospel programs, a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And I think the first trip dad was with them, it was six weeks long. Wow. So between the Elvis stuff and the gospel things. Um, and so he just went to JD. He's like, JD, thank you for this opportunity, but I, I'm not going to be able to. It's not going to work for my family to do this. And so he hated to give it up, you know, give it up. He liked both sides of it. He enjoyed singing the, the Elvis stuff. He said, man, the first night, he said, I've never heard volume like that in my life. And the flashes of, you know, the old cameras that had flashes. Yeah, yeah. Instamatics. He said it was it would almost make you pass out. It wow. was so overwhelming. It's, and, and Elvis, where, where he came on stage, walked right by Dad, if you know the way the things were set up. 
walked right by him. He said, and you, you just couldn't even hear anything. The screaming was so... He said the only thing he noticed that Elvis would get frustrated, especially with the gospel stuff, because the audience wouldn't be quiet. <laughs> they wouldn't be quiet and they wouldn't listen. And he wanted them to hear the stamps mm-hmm. sing some nice, pretty harmony, which they could obviously do. And I thought that was an interesting take on Dad's part of observing Elvis, that the only time he noticed him flustered on stage is when he wanted people to hear the gospel group and they wouldn't be quiet. You know, and that says a lot about the character of Elvis. Yeah. It really does. I think there was a big, big fight in that soul of his. And you can't bring up a Booth brother and Elvis in the same conversation without the obvious comparison (laughs) between Ronnie and Elvis along the way. And you and I know the answer to this question, but most people don't realize Ronnie never set out no. To have that sound. No. You know, no. It, it's he, just happened. We listened to the Elvis records because uh, Ed Enix sent the albums to Dad a few weeks before he went out on the tour. He sent several albums, and he, I, we still have the pen marks where Enix said, learn this, 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 this. So we listened to those albums a lot. Um, I was heavily influenced by the drummer, Ronnie Tut. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so, yeah. Elvis, we'd listen to him a lot, but he didn't influence us musically like the Gatlin Brothers and the Oak Ridge Boys and um, Restless Heart and the Eagles and stuff like that. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was quite, uh, though Elvis was a big character, uh, and how Ronnie, Ronnie's voice is just, I don't know, there's something smooth about it, mm-hmm. similar to Elvis's, but Ronnie never set out to pursue that. Right. Yeah. Day when records came to him, asking him to sing the demos of these Elvis albums that he did, and uh, I was the one who told him. I said, "But once you, once you carry this, I think people would like to hear you sing that stuff." Mm-hmm. And boy, they, they have. They bought a bunch of them. Well, that's that's hey, that's why he don't have most. to. He don't have to do solo dates, and I do. Okay. <laughs> well, now the truth is out. Okay. Oh wow. <laughs> All right, with everything that's going on in the world of the Booth Brothers and Michael Booth, where can listeners keep up with you at in the world of social media? Oh, gosh, I'm the wrong one to ask. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, when, Michael, here, we're going to help you. Yeah. When you get into this situation, you just simply say, Google the Booth Brothers. Google the Booth Brothers. Yeah. I know Scott Godsey over at Daywind Records has sent me, and the team has sent me a few emails of, of, of how to – get people to listen to my stuff but i don't i haven't really read them you know? you've not even opened the emails <laughs> <Not> really. have you? <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> well if nothing else folks we have presented you one of the most honest yeah. podcast of all time <laughs> anyway michael booth has been our guest today on danny's diary thank you michael for coming thank in you, we man. appreciate it. it and uh stick around folks we have more episodes of danny's diary on the way look for you look for those podcasts see it now Michael's got me all flustered. Look for more episodes of Danny's Diary wherever you find your favorite podcast or go to singingnews.com and download it from there. We'll see you next time.